Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on Thursday, December the 2nd, 2021. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you once again. We have a big show lined up for you on this Thursday. We're going to talk with Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com a little bit later in the program. We've got a myriad of college football topics we're going to get into with Chris Hummer. We're going to talk some SEC Championship game with Chris Hummer. We're going to talk some Lincoln Riley, some Brian Kelly, uh, we're going to talk some scenarios for the college football playoff, Heisman Trophy scenarios with Chris Hummer as well. All that coming up a little bit later in the pod, but certainly heavy on SEC championship game talk here for you on the show. Big weekend of basketball for Alabama as well as the Crimson Tide heads to Seattle under Nato's to take on top five Gonzaga. The Zags, one of the preeminent programs in all of college basketball under Mark Few. Drew Timmy, one of the very best players in all of collegiate basketball. And you're seeing Gonzaga now recruit at an exceptionally high level. Also benefiting from that transfer portal, like so many programs around the sport today. So we anticipate that matchup on Saturday evening. That'll be ESPN2 for Alabama men's hoops taking on Gonzaga. That's a 7 central tip-off. So... 3 Central on Saturday afternoon, Alabama-Georgia in the SEC Championship game. Four hours later, tip-off, Alabama men taking on Gonzaga. Got some other topics I want to touch on before we get to Chris Hummer coming up here in just a little bit. I thought it might be about the time of the football season to do a little five-star review for Alabama in relation to the 2021 recruiting cycle, those five stars that made their way to Tuscaloosa. And what we'll do is we'll sort of run it down from Alabama's highest rated five-star to uh, its lowest rated five-star. Is there any such thing, by the way, as a lowest rated five-star? I mean, if you're a five-star, you're highly rated. So all these guys we're going to talk about extremely coveted on the recruiting trail. And for most of these guys, it's been largely a developmental year. And I know, I know as fans and media, we sort of anticipate five stars coming in and just, wow, Heisman Trophy candidates right out the gates. Doesn't always happen that way. Doesn't always happen that you have a Cam Robinson come in and jump into a left tackle position and start every game he appears in for the Crimson Tide during his career. Jonah Williams, similar in that regard on the offensive line. Uh, Look at the outside linebacker position. It's not every year that you get a Will Anderson like you saw in 2020 jump into that spot and be an every down guy uh, there on the edge. You see some defensive backs from time to time jump in and make that sort of immediate impact. But when we look at the lines of scrimmage, which is where we're going to start with this group, because J.C. Latham coming out of IMG was Alabama's highest rated signee for that 2021 cycle. You know, he worked some at tackle earlier in the season, and even back in spring practice, a couple of these guys were early enrollees, and when that's the case, that only sort of heightens expectations for that first year. But still, you're talking about a position again in the offensive line that developmental goes hand-in-hand with that position. 
in most instances. And that's what it's been for J.C. Latham. Now, he's appeared in multiple games this year, more as a second-team guy, more in a role in which Alabama has games under control. I think we've seen him on field goal extra point as well. Uh, Worked some at tackle back in the spring. Worked some at tackle through the preseason and into the 2021 season. We've seen him more at guard of late, which makes you wonder. And he's also worked in some goal line situations as well as sort of that extra offensive tackle. So there's a little bit of a question about where exactly does J.C. Latham land moving forward. And this is a tackle needy team, especially if you consider a scenario in which, as expected, Uh, you have a departure there at left tackle and Evan Neal to the National Football League. So you know you're going to need a left tackle. And what we've seen in a lot of years is that the right tackle is sort of the understudy a lot of times to the left tackle. And then when that left tackle makes the move, like an Alex Leatherwood, like an uh, Evan Neal, some of these guys, you'll see that transition take place to the left side. I don't think we've seen enough from right tackle this season to think that that guy or those guys are going to just transition over to the left side. you got to figure out the right side coming up in the offseason as well. You're trying to figure out right tackle going into the SEC championship game this week, let alone for the 2022 season. So J.C. Latham's progress will continue to be monitored. And as a connection with that another guy Tommy Brockermeyer is redshirted this year another five-star offensive tackle uh, second highest ranked signee for Alabama uh, for the most recent recruiting class and I haven't really seen Tommy Brockermeyer this season we did see him a good bit in the spring he's a guy that again I think physically uh, there's a adjustment that has to take place some development that needed to take place Uh, It's not a bad thing to have guys that you need to uh, not tear down but build up. Uh, And that's, I think, more the situation with Tommy Brockermeyer and also the level of competition, understanding he did come from the state of Texas. He didn't come from a program that you see or hear a lot about. You don't see All Saints Episcopal on ESPN every Friday night or in the early season in some of these nationally – matched games uh, with Florida versus Texas or Texas versus California. Doesn't mean Tommy Brockermeyer can't or won't be an especially good offensive lineman for Alabama. It's just that it's going to take him a little bit of time as well. But I think for both Latham and Brockermeyer, again, when you continue, when you consider potential scenarios for next spring, uh, two guys that obviously are going to be high on that high on that watch list of players uh, looking to take that next step. Now, Dallas Turner, we're going to talk about next. Obviously, Turner came on following the injury to Drew Sanders uh, back about a month, month and a half ago now. And, of course, Drew Sanders was in there for Christopher Allen opposite Will Anderson. Last four games for Dallas Turner, four and a half sacks, five tackles for loss. So he is very much trending in a positive direction. Could be a big, big afternoon coming up for Dallas Turner on Saturday because Georgia will go with multiple tight ends, which will put Alabama in its base defense from time to time in that game. That means Dallas Turner at one outside linebacker position, Will Anderson at the other spot. Again, ideally, Christopher Allen would have gone wire to wire opposite Anderson. But in his absence, 
you've had a second year guy and Drew Sanders do some really good things until his injury and then Dallas Turner uh, has also stepped up so considering the injury to Christopher Allen and I know it kind of gets forgotten but man if you think about this defense with Christopher Allen on the other side of Will Anderson on an every down basis yeah uh, it's a it's something to think about that's all you can do right now unfortunately but all things considered Sanders and Turner things have gone about as well as you could have hoped in the absence of Christopher Allen what about Kool-Aid McKinstry a couple of starts for the true freshman corner including last week at Auburn been very solid when given the opportunity and I think it's pretty obvious right Kool-Aid McKinstry's time as a starter is very much uh, in front of him. And it could be as soon as, once again, this week. Maybe he is the starter. And even if he isn't the starter this week against Georgia, with Josh Job having dealt with turf toe, with Jalen Armour Davis having dealt with a hip issue here of late, I don't think the leash for either Job or Armour Davis will be all that long If they do, if that's the duo that starts the game Saturday, I don't think Nick Saban, I don't think that Alabama defensive staff will have any problem turning to Kool-Aid McKinstry pretty quickly if it comes down to it in Atlanta this weekend. Damon Payne, five-star defensive tackle from the state of Michigan, Belleville, Michigan, to be exact. Redshirting while working behind interior defensive lineman DJ Dale, Tim Smith, Stephon Wynn. This is another guy that when you talk about the work of David Ballou and that strength and conditioning staff, or we like to call it sports science these days, right? Dr. Matt Ray, uh, he's another one of those guys that you're going to be interested to check back in with when the spring rolls around because a lot of times that first full run, uh, and Damon Payne wasn't an early enrollee, so you got to take that into account as well. J.C. Latham, Tommy Brockermeyer, some of these guys got a little bit of a jump. Kool-Aid McKinstry, Dallas Turner wasn't an early enrollee. So for guys like Turner and Payne, the upcoming offseason uh, is going to be especially interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, and when you look at Payne, yes, you would think the 2022 season would signal an arrival for him in the rotation, but there's a very real possibility that Alabama welcomes back DJ Dale, brings back Tim Smith, so it will have some interior options that it can build with. Payne is one of those guys that I think in time, uh, not just a base nose tackle, a heavy nickel defensive tackle, I think he could be a guy that is able to stay on the field uh, in some passing situations as well. You got Tim Keenan, a big nose tackle. Alabama's got some big guys that they are redshirting this year at that interior defensive line position. Damon Payne right there with that group. Ja'Cory Brooks, another five-star. We talk about trending positively late in the season. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that's the case with Ja'Cory Brooks after the heroics last week in the Iron Bowl on that game-tying drive. A couple of huge catches, 21 and 28 yards. Those two grabs, the latter tying the football game down at Jordan-Hare Stadium. You know, and Ja'Cory Brooks has done some pretty good things on special teams. As much as anything, what you like about Ja'Cory Brooks is that you've seen him do some things off the ball that typically translate to more opportunities. Something some of the younger receivers could learn from where Ja'Cory Brooks is concerned. It's not just about 
getting open. It's not just about being able to high point the football. Yeah, those things are vital. There's no doubt about it. But when you're working in a crowded field in a rotation for a spot, you've got to be able to do it off the ball as well. And Ja'Cory Brooks, before the catches at Auburn, what you saw against, say, Arkansas the previous week was some good work on the perimeter as a blocker, helping to spring John Mechie. That's one of the biggest issues this offense has had this year. The problem with the perimeter passing game is that you would like to throw it to John Mechie, but John Mechie's your best blocker by far. And so it's kind of difficult to catch it and block for yourself at the same time. So Ja'Cory Brooks has made a push. Polish going to continue to be the thing with Ja'Cory Brooks. There's no questioning the size, the speed. Uh, He showed you great hands on a couple of those catches. Just polish. You know, he had the one route there in the fourth quarter against Auburn last Saturday where uh, he didn't quite know where he was at on the sideline. Ended up out of bounds. Ball was a little wide. I thought Bryce could have done a better job of keeping it on the field as well. But those are the things that Ja'Cory Brooks, tightening up the route running, those type of things. And also becoming a guy that can handle all the different spots. Uh, at the receiver position, not just at the X, but also the Z and working in the slot from time to time. That's the growth that you're going to see from Ja'Cory Brooks, I think, as much as anything here in the coming months. And it's going to be important because if Jamison Williams and John Mechie go pro, uh, Brooks is sent to a starting role, you would think, would most certainly be anticipated from those younger receivers. Kamar Wheaton at the running back position, another five-star. For Kamar, it's been a season of injury, unfortunately, for the Texan. Haven't seen him this season. Uh, Injured since the preseason. And you think about the injury situation in general at running back, and something we've talked about, written about extensively there at BamaOnline.com. Roydell Williams goes out with a knee injury. Jace McClellan, earlier in the season, early October, goes out with a knee injury. Kamar Wheaton has been injured throughout the season. And you're starting to hear some buzz about potential transfer portal candidates. Jameer Gibbs, the running back for Georgia Tech among them. A lot of running backs of note here of late entering the portal. So Alabama's approach to that, not only in the offseason, but maybe even in the next few weeks will be something to keep an eye on. Wheaton still has great ability. There's no doubt about that, especially when you talk about home run hitting ability. I've made the comparison in terms of running style and big play ability to Dalvin Cook with Kamar Wheaton, but big offseason coming up for the true freshman, and we'll see how that goes for him and how that running back position in that room shakes out here in the next weeks and months. So to recap, biggest impacts from the 2021 five stars uh, this season, I would say Dallas Turner, uh, especially here of late, the last month or so, he has really come on. And then Kool-Aid McKinstry and uh, Ja'Cory Brooks would be next. Bracket those two together if you want to. Uh, and then pretty much otherwise, it's it's injury and or developmental years Uh, And again, some of that you anticipate uh, because of the positions involved with an emphasis on 
the offensive and defensive lines. Hey, want to talk about, before we get to Chris Hummer coming up here in just a little bit, maybe some matchups for this Alabama-Georgia game on Saturday that aren't being talked about enough. Now, look, I think that we all know the Alabama offense against the Alabama-Georgia, the excuse me, the Alabama offense against the Georgia defense is the one that's going to sell the tickets and attract the television eyeballs on Saturday. But typically when we get so caught up in one side of the ball against the other side of the ball, it's the other side of the ball versus the other side of the ball. Uh, if that makes any sense, that goes a long way in determining things. And I think that's, you know, contrary to popular belief, Alabama isn't going to be on offense the whole game. And Georgia, wait for it, Georgia isn't going to be on defense the whole game on Saturday. At some point in between all that, you're actually going to have the Georgia offense going against the Alabama defense. And one of the things I look at with this Georgia offense, and you see it, and you think, wow, this is a run-heavy offense. This is a tight end-based offense as much as anything else. Um, you know, if Alabama can just slow down the run game and force Stetson Bennett somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 30-plus 30 pass attempts, they're going to be in good shape in this game. And I, I don't think that's inaccurate. I think that's an ideal scenario if you're Alabama. But if you're Alabama – it's still going to go back defensively to can you limit explosive plays, the type of plays that have been a bugaboo for this defense at times, especially against run-heavy offenses. Look at Arkansas. Arkansas, first and foremost, is a run offense. Look at Tennessee. Tennessee, first and foremost, a run offense. What did both of those offenses do? They victimized Alabama with explosive plays for touchdowns. And it's one thing to give up an explosive play, but if you give it up, get the guy on the ground. Give yourself a chance to at least play red zone defense. Alabama on multiple occasions this year hasn't been able to do that. So when you look at Georgia, you think about tight end Brock Bowers. You're going to see a lot of 12 personnel, I think, from Georgia if you're the Alabama defense on Saturday, maybe even some 13 personnel. Georgia will go three tight ends. Uh, And that will, again, as we talked about earlier, put you in some base personnel defensively, uh, require at best a safety on a guy like Brock Bowers, uh, maybe even a linebacker from time to time. And Bowers, he not only leads Georgia in catches and yards, he has 37 catches, 652, and 10 touchdown receptions, leads Georgia in all three of those categories. He's averaging 17.6 yards Per catch. So UGA gets you in base personnel defensively. You're hyper focused on stopping the run. And then Stetson Bennett hits big plays not only to Bowers, but also wide receiver Lad McConkey, who's averaging 15 yards per catch. Jermaine Burton, another wide receiver. I believe Burton had a touchdown catch in Tuscaloosa uh, last season. He's averaging 18.8. And then you even have another tight end. Doesn't have the catches, the number of catches, as Brock Bowers. But Darnell Washington, a former target on the recruiting trail of Alabama out of Las Vegas. Darnell Washington's averaging 17.5 per catch. So matchups with tight ends first and foremost. And even running back Kenny McIntosh, who you may not see a lot for Georgia. He's down the rotation a little bit. James Cook. 
Zamir White, those are the top two guys in that rotation. But even Kenny McIntosh is a third back, similar to like Sean Shivers of Auburn last week. McIntosh is averaging 13 yards per catch. You add it all up, and Stetson Bennett leads all SEC starting quarterbacks in yards per attempt at 10.8 yards per attempt. That speaks to the explosive capability of the Georgia offense in the passing game. So, yes, you definitely want to get the number of attempts up for uh, for Bennett in the game. Um, and when you think about number of attempts and you think about yards per attempt, part of that number being as high as it is is that Georgia hasn't had to go to the air all that much. You know, when you look at Bennett, and JT Daniels, their combined attempts, pass attempts for the season, they're 141 fewer than Bryce Young through 12 games. Bryce Young has thrown 141 more passes than have Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels combined. Now, if you're Georgia, you ain't sorry about it. You're 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 fine with your balance. It's Alabama that's got to answer more of those type of questions on Saturday. Um, but even if you do get Bennett's Attempts up on Saturday. You got to take away the explosives from guys like Bowers, McConkey, Burton, Kiaris, Jackson. Uh, when Bennett does look to take some shots, and you know, I get that George Pickens is back in the rotation for George after recovering from an ACL injury. Good for him. The only thing I really see him possibly contributing in the passing game, though is more so along the lines of outside the numbers with an emphasis on back shoulder throws against man coverage in between sizable gains and pass interference penalties. Those have been the kind of throws that have been a sweet spot for opposing offenses against Alabama defensive backs, especially on third down. So you tie in the potential, too, for Georgia with possibly JT Daniels playing in this game you know I think if JT Daniels plays in this game in any meaningful way that's probably a good sign for Alabama because I don't view this current situation at Georgia as Tua as the backup to Jalen Hurts in 2017 or Jalen Hurts as the backup to Tua a year later I think if JT Daniels is in the game Saturday there's really sort of no in-between it's kind of like, well, Georgia's either well in hand of the game, has the game well in hand, or Alabama has the game well in hand. If JT Daniels is in the game and Georgia is in desperation mode Saturday, it should mean that Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Fedarian Mathis, and a few others will be able to pin their ears back. And when you think about Daniels in comparison to Stetson Bennett, who can extend some plays, do some things with his legs, I don't think JT Daniels would be all that difficult for Alabama to find with the pass rush. And again, I don't see JT Daniels as hurting Alabama with his legs. Another area of this game, maybe, that we haven't talked about enough throughout the week. I'm going to look at the punting game, right? I know, right? Fun stuff with the punting game. But when you consider the difference, the gulf between (laughs) Georgia's punting and Alabama's punting, and the possibility at least that both these defenses, not just Georgia's, but maybe Alabama's, puts Georgia in the situation of having to kick the football a good bit more than it's used to this season. When you look at number of punts uh, for teams in the SEC this season, Georgia and Alabama haven't had to punt the ball very much at all. Georgia and Alabama have yet to hit 40 total punts 
through 12 games. So, But when you look at Georgia, Jake Camarda is a four-year starter as the punter for the Bulldogs. He's averaging nearly 47 yards per punt. Meanwhile, Alabama with James Burnip, a freshman, is averaging less than 38 yards per punt. So you're talking about nearly right at a first down difference every time these teams punt the football back and forth. Um, You know, in Burnett, Alabama's working with a relatively new player to the sport. Forget about to the SEC or or, or college football or, or, or just punting in general. You know, Burnett was anticipated to arrive from Australia next year. And that got pushed up a year because of Alabama's need at the position. And here's something else to be concerned about if you're an Alabama fan. The potential for block kicks are in play this week. That hasn't been something Alabama has been able to avoid at times. Burnup had the punt blocked against Tennessee. Partially deflected punt last week against Auburn. Georgia, between punts and field goals, have gotten their paws, the dogs have, on four kicks this season. And again, just from last week, we know the near-catastrophic mishaps that Alabama had in both those areas of the kicking game between punts and the botched snap on the field goal attempt by Will Reichard down in the Iron Bowl last week. So uh, keep your eyes on that. Whenever the football is kicked this week, uh, Alabama fans might want to turn their head just for a second. Just for a second. Hey, when we come back on the Bama Online Podcast, as promised, we're going to check in with Chris Summer, my great friend, national college football writer for 247sports.com. We're going to get Chris's thoughts on the SEC championship game and a whole lot more when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. The Christmas season is upon us, and if you want to deck the family, let alone the walls out in Alabama apparel, no better place to do it than homefieldapparel.com. Trust me, the entire Ryer family has made its way to homefieldapparel.com. If you got that special someone that maybe is partial to hoodies, you're going to find all of the great Alabama-themed designs on hoodies, sweatshirts, T-shirts, you name it, at homefieldapparel.com. Go there right now, and as a first-time consumer at checkout, enter the code BAMA247. That's BAMA247 at checkout. You're going to get 15% off your initial purchase at homefieldapparel.com. So get that Christmas list, check it off one by one there at homefieldapparel.com, and then get yourself the 15% off at checkout. Homefield Apparel and homefieldapparel.com. As promised, time to check in with our good pal Chris Summer, national college football writer for us at 247sports.com. We're able to pry Chris Summer away from that transfer portal for just a couple of minutes. Uh, of course, Chris, among the several hats he wears for us there uh, at 247sports.com, uh, gatekeeper, I would say, of the portal in some ways, Chris Summer. Chris, uh, it's amazing, man. Um, you know, and with sort of some regulations stripped away here in the last year or two, uh, it just spins faster and faster to that portal, it seems. And, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, just a couple of days ago, you'll know the more exact number than I will sitting here at midday on Thursday, but it was like 250 players, football players had gone into the portal. And when you think about there's what, 130 FBS programs, that's already at like two a team, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know the math off the top of my head. I guess if you're 250, yeah, about. And 
I think we're tracking, we're probably going to end up around 2,500 players in the portal this offseason at least. Um, and I think that's going to end up being like probably 5 to 10% of every FBS roster is going to enter the portal scholarship-wise. Um, so it, it's just, it's absurd movement. And it is truly college football service in a free agency. I don't think anybody expected this when the transfer portal came out four years ago, but it's totally changed the way staffs look at roster construction and how players look at their college careers. Yeah. And you've kind of heeded the warning in recent months and last year or so with some stories on horror stories from the portal with players going in and seemingly not coming back out on the other side and nearly as good a position as they went in, if any type of position in some instances. So absolutely the dynamic we're recruiting is concerned, not just in terms of shopping, but right, maintaining your own roster, you've got to re-recruit guys. It used to be a new coach would come in and have to sort of recruit the roster that he inherited. Now you can be someone like Nick Saban and you're probably trying to keep guys around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think the bigger universities and the bigger blue bloods are in better position to keep guys that they want. Um, you're obviously going to have some second or third stringers that are unhappy and they're going to want more playing time and they're going to move. So it's unfortunate from a depth perspective and from a long-term kind of roster management perspective, I guess. But those like Nick Saban are advantage because they can basically get whoever they want via the portal. I think the schools that really struggle are some of the bottom tier P5 schools that lose some of their best players. And then also some of the group of five schools that are having their best players poached. That's That's really where you see recruiting your own roster come into play. I was talking to a player personnel director for a piece I did um, a couple of weeks ago. And he was like, if you're not recruiting your roster right now, somebody definitely is. And I think that sums up things pretty well for a lot of these schools. Really makes it hard for the program building approach at some places. Look at a Georgia tech under Jeff Collins. You sign a Jameer Gibbs at the running back position a couple of years ago. And now he's in the portal. And I think we all know there's a very good chance that a player of his caliber is going to end up at a power five contender for championships. I don't think anyone would be surprised by that. So, yeah, it takes that to another degree of difficulty for programs sort of in that neighborhood. We wanted to get you on. We're going to go through a gauntlet of topics with you and then get you out of here. But Obviously, big news also in the coaching carousel here in the last few days is Lincoln Riley makes his way from Oklahoma to USC regionally, well, nationally as well, when you're talking about Notre Dame, globally maybe with the Irish, and then also LSU. Brian Kelly going to uh, going from South Bend to Southern Louisiana. How about that? Um, worst look on the way out the door, because both these guys caught some heat in the immediate aftermath of their departures uh, from Norman and South Bend, respectively. Who does that go to, Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly here? I think it's Lincoln Riley. I, for Brian Kelly, I mean, I understand why people would be upset, but they had finished the regular season, and I know Oklahoma had two. And Brian Kelly has been there for a really long time. I don't know exactly how many years he's been at Notre Dame, but he's Notre Dame's all-time winning as coach. He has helped restore that program and make it respectable again. When he arrived there, they were not ready to compete for championships in the modern era. And he has put that program in position to be a consistent winner. Um, so for him to walk out, I think, is somewhat understandable. He is older. He's 60. He has aspirations of winning a national championship. And it's easier to do that at LSU than it is at Notre Dame. It might be easier to make the playoff at Notre Dame. 
But due to some of the recruiting limitations that you have there that you certainly don't have at LSU, I think it's easier for Brian Kelly. Lincoln Riley, I mean, like, that was Bob Stoops' guy. Like, he got handed the keys to a Lamborghini. And all he had to do was kind of keep it on the road. And he's he's done that. But for him to leave probably a top 10 job in college football for another top 10 job, I think is a bit of a slap in the face to those in Norman. And it certainly caught a lot of players and his coaches by surprise. It, it really did come out of left field, even though there were all those left or all those LSU rumors sitting out there. Like, I, I think Lincoln really did leave a feeling of betrayal in Norman for a lot of people. So first to win a national championship. In his new gig, Lincoln Riley at SC or Brian Kelly at LSU? I think it's Lincoln Riley at SC. <laughs> I know I just said it's easier to win a national championship at LSU, but unless Nick Saban retires tomorrow, uh, it's it's very difficult to win in the SEC. I know LSU caught lightning in a bottle a couple of years ago and did it, and they won uh, a chan- two championships in the 2000s as well. But that division is brutal. Um, you got to deal with. Uh, Alabama, Auburn, Texas A&M, Mississippi State and Ole Miss are as good as they've been in a long time. Arkansas is rolling under Sam Pittman. It's a really tough uh, division to get out of. And then you have Georgia on the other side, which is a juggernaut right now. Texas and Oklahoma are coming into the SEC soon. And I think the SEC is just going to beat itself up to the point where it's going to be very difficult for Brian Kelly to win immediately. If he can get into the playoff and they can make some noise, I can see it happening. But I just think Lincoln Riley, has got, Lincoln Riley has a much easier path, and he inherited a roster that does have some holes, especially along the offensive line and some places on the defense. But given the way he's going to recruit out there, I think Lincoln can be in a position to win a national championship in two to three years, and I think it's going to take Brian Kelly a little longer than that. You kind of touched on this with Lincoln Riley and what is perceived to be more or less a, a lateral move from Oklahoma to Notre Dame, or excuse me, to USC in some ways. With that, were you surprised that the next job for both these guys, Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly, weren't in, with NFL teams? Because that seemed to be a lot of uh, what you would hear, especially with Lincoln Riley and the respect coming from the National Football League for what he had done with an emphasis on offense. I'm a little surprised, yeah. Uh, Lincoln Riley especially. Like Lincoln had a chance to be the Dallas Cowboys head coach two years ago. Um, I don't know if that offer was fully extended or he kind of just turned it down in background, uh, like on uh, back channeling, but like that could have been his job. And that's as attractive as job as there is in sports, in my opinion. Um, so for Lincoln to make the jump to USC instead of staying at Oklahoma certainly surprised me. Like if he was going to go anywhere, I figured it'd be the NFL because it's a different sort of challenge. And USC is a different sort of challenge, I suppose, as well, but it's still in college. And I guess he has national championship aspirations, but that I'm surprised there. Brian Kelly, I mean, I can understand wanting to try test the NFL waters and see how you do there, but he still hasn't, he's won everywhere he's been. He's won at a huge level everywhere he's been, but he is still missing that division one national championship trophy. I know he has one on the division three level. So I, I, I'm not shocked to see him kind of go after that. Like he is, he is one national championship away from being considered an all time legend. And I think for somebody like Brian Kelly, that matters to his legacy. Circling back to the transfer portal, Chris, give us a guy or two or three maybe that are right now on this Thursday, December the 2nd, knowing that there's population in the portal as we speak. In fact, I think uh, you alerted me before we started this interview that Nebraska's uh, starting quarterback had gone into the portal now. 
uh, most popular transfer portal entrance to this point, and maybe a guy that fans and media and folks out there might not know as much about, but coaches certainly do, with an emphasis on Power Five coaches. Yeah, um, I mean, popular, there's so many. I think Jameer Gibbs, honestly, just talking to people, might be the most popular. Um, I believe you talked about him earlier with Georgia Tech and I think he's considered the best running back in the portal, even over Zach Evans. So, and like Zach Evans is as talented as they get. Like Jameer Gibbs is that dude and every power five team in the country wants him. I think he's going to be the most popular name in the portal as of now. Um, if you're talking about sleepers, I think FIU offensive tackle, Miles Frazier is one to think about. Um, he has like 27 offers so far. I think, uh, Yesterday, he just picked up one from Auburn and Nebraska as well. He has some giant offers. Um, he was probably FIU's best offensive player last year. He's got an NFL frame. He's got, uh, he wants to be a strength coach long term. So, you know, he gets it done in the weight room. And I think he's going to be, he's the best offensive tackle on the market right now. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, if you're looking for a sleeper, Jacoby Windman from UNLV, he's a linebacker, kind of an edge guy. Um, I think he's going to be a really popular name. I think he actually reported a Texas offer right before we got off the phone. Um, we have an 89 grade on him at 24-7 Sports. I think he could sneak into the 90s, potentially in the four-star range. Um, so those are some guys off the top of my head, but I'm sure I've missed a couple. There have been so many guys entering the last couple of days. So, Chris, we know you've already published your picks for conference championship. Saturday, well, and Friday night as well. you got a couple of games, including the Pac-12 championship game, coming up on Friday night. But a particular interest, obviously, with what we do here on the Bama Online Podcast, Alabama and Georgia, Saturday afternoon from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Um, tell us your pick. I already know. I read it. I think the reasoning is sound. Um you know, I think you you make some good points. You and Brad Carlford and sort of breaking down the, the conference title games. What went into your pick? What did it ultimately come down to uh, in picking the Georgia Bulldogs to knock off the Alabama Crimson Tide? Yeah, I want to start by saying I don't feel good about picking against Alabama. I think I've maybe <laughs> done it like once in five years. Um, it feels very odd. And I actually picked Georgia to cover, which makes me feel even more uncomfortable. Um, but it just comes down to Alabama's offensive line. I just... It's not there. It, the left side is fine, I think. And I think you probably concur with that. It's the right side that really concerns me. And you can't you can't have those issues against Georgia's to front seven. I think if Alabama's offensive line was better, I would be intrigued by picking the tide because I think Bryce Young can attack a secondary, a, a secondary that Georgia has that I think has some question marks that haven't really been exposed this year because they haven't faced anybody that could. And I think Bryce Young and that wide receiver group are capable of doing that. I just don't know if the offensive line is going to give them enough time. And I don't think Alabama is going to be able to run the ball well enough not to be one-dimensional on Saturday. And against Georgia's defense, it's a recipe for disaster. So if it plays out that way, let's say Alabama loses by seven, which I believe is your prediction in this game, how much chaos would then be required really before the game on Saturday potentially uh, in the Big 12, and then um, throughout the course of Saturday, I believe even the AAC game runs uh, in the same window as the SEC game. Seems interesting, but I guess if you're ABC, you got to shoot your shot, right, at yeah. some point with Cincinnati. Um, and then in primetime with Michigan in the Big Ten championship game, 
against Iowa. What would need to happen, in your opinion, for a two-loss Alabama to get in? So, I mean, that's a really interesting question. I was thinking about that before we hopped on, and I don't think it would take that much, frankly. If Baylor beats Oklahoma State, I already think Alabama is in pretty good position to get in as a two-loss team, as long as it loses close. I think if you put Alabama and Notre Dame head-to-head, even a two-loss Alabama is going to sneak in over Notre Dame. And that's just my opinion. I, Alabama's played a much more difficult schedule. Um, Notre Dame, uh, for some reason, the committee is docking Notre Dame for not having Brian Kelly, which is very interesting to me. Um, Alabama has no such issues. Um, and I just I think Alabama's a better team than Notre Dame, and it's not going to be a two-loss Ohio State, in my opinion. They're too far back. It's not going to be a two-loss Baylor over a two-loss um, Alabama, I feel pretty confident in saying that. So you're basically down to Alabama versus Notre Dame for that final spot if um, Oklahoma State loses. And I think Alabama's pretty likely to get it. Um, maybe I'm missing a scenario there. Like if a one-loss Cincinnati's there and it's a two-loss Alabama, I wouldn't be shocked if the committee put Alabama in over Cincinnati either. We've seen a lot of stuff go wrong for a group of five teams in this circumstance. So I think a two-loss Alabama team has a decent shot. So under your scenario, again, of an Alabama loss, in your opinion, what would qualify as enough Saturday against Georgia to put Bryce Young over the hump in the Heisman race? If Alabama wins and he plays well, I think we all understand it's a slam dunk. He's your Heisman Trophy winner. But in a scenario where, let's say, Alabama loses a fairly close game, um, in addition to that, what, what does he have to do Saturday to kind of uh, solidify himself as, as the Heisman winner. And I have no idea what to do with the Heisman race this year, but um, if I had a vote, which, which I do not, I would just need to see... Actually, my vote would go to Will Anderson. I need to put that out there right now. Like, mm-hmm. If Will Anderson plays well on Saturday, which I expect him to, that would be my Heisman vote. But for the general voting public, I think if Bryce Young has a good game, it's a fourth-quarter game, and his stats look somewhat decent against a defense that has given up nothing all year, Let's say Alabama wins, loses that game uh, 31-28 or 31-24 or something like that. I think Bryce Young has done enough to win the Heisman Trophy, especially because C.J. Stroud lacks that stage on Saturday without big, Ohio State not being in the Big Ten Championship game. So we talk about all this defensive talent. You said it. Will Anderson, I agree. I think Will Anderson is Alabama's top overall football player. Felt that way from the outset of the season. Haven't wavered on that through 12 games. So... But understanding all of this defensive talent that's going to be on that stage Saturday afternoon in Atlanta, Georgia with Jordan Davis, N'Kobe Dean, um, you know, you can go kind of across the board with the dogs, especially in that front seven, looking at Alabama with Will Anderson. Um, If you had the first pick among defensive players in this game Saturday to build a defense with, who is your pick? You know, I was, I think it's interesting in some ways because I, I know you mentioned Jordan Davis, but he might be the third tackle I take out of that group. And I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but Jalen Carter and Trevon Walker are both incredible. But you I like I'm the taking, pass rush. You like the pass rush, Ella. Yeah, I like their ability to, I like their ability to kind of collapse the pocket and create some pressure. Um, and I know Jordan Davis is valuing a little in a different way, and I'm probably shorting him a little bit, but I really like somebody who can create havoc inside as opposed to just occupying get a little bit of a terrence cody vibe with jordan yeah yeah and that's that's not meant as a diss it's just that 
eventually there's a ceiling for that guy when you start talking about even the next level, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he has a, he has a role, and it's such an important role because you're occupying blocks and allowing your guys on the outside to get home, and you just make running the football against you so difficult. But I just think Jordan Davis does not affect the game in the way uh, Will Anderson, who I, I'm talking around it, would be my pick. Will Anderson would absolutely be my pick out of the two defenses. But I don't think you affect the same game in the same way a interior pass rusher does or an edge guy who's consistently in the face of the quarterback. And that's why I would take Will Anderson. He is the best pass rusher in the country. Uh, it's underrated, but he is an excellent run defender as well. And I just think he makes Alabama's defense go. I'm a big N'Kobe Dean fan, man. And I understand that maybe middle linebacker doesn't have even the value that it had 10 years ago. I think in some ways it actually does have even more value because if you've got an every down guy that you can keep out there and the multiple packages that you have to incorporate on a weekly basis, there's a lot of value in that. I think I like the intangibles with N'Kobe Dean, the toughness he plays with, uh, the unquestioned sort of persona that he has you know alpha dog it's such a term that's overused and been thrown around too much but uh man he is definitely the glue right there in the middle of that defense i'm with you though if i have to pick just one eh? will anderson when we talk about potential game wreckers for this game saturday right it that, that list starts with will anderson doesn't it yeah absolutely um i think if you're talking about somebody who can absolutely ruin george's day it, it has to start with will anderson um, we're going to get Stetson Bennett as quarterback again, which I think is one of the most underrated stories in the country. Nobody's talking about it. It's still crazy to me. He's starting over JT Daniels, but if Will Anderson's in Stetson's face the whole day, I, I think it could be a really long day for Georgia. I mean, I, I still haven't seen that offense tested. I know the numbers look great. I know Stetson's numbers look great, but he's had the most comfortable job in America the last 11 weeks since the Clemson game. So I, I'm very compelled to see, um, what a little pressure in his face is going to do. But yeah, I, I think Will Anderson, Will Anderson, in my opinion, is the best player on the field. And this game is going to feature probably a dozen first round picks by the time the rosters get emptied, um, which is a heck of a compliment to Will Anderson. So I think he absolutely could ruin the game for Georgia. Well, we absolutely look forward to it. We always look forward to talking with Chris Hummer here on the Bama online podcast. Chris, can't thank you enough. Have a great weekend, my man. Yeah, absolutely. Have fun in Atlanta for everybody who's going. Chris Hummer does an outstanding job for us at 247sports.com, national college football writer. That's going to do it for a late week edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Remember, keep it tuned to BamaOnline.com throughout the weekend. Of course, we're going to have extensive coverage of the SEC championship game. Alabama men's basketball travels to the Pacific Northwest on Saturday to take on Gonzaga. A lot, a lot of content for you at BamaOnline.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend? 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 